This is John Shannon with Radio Free Galisteo, and I am speaking with Marianne Sieghart, who is an author, broadcaster, and journalist, the former assistant editor and columnist at the Times of London, and is currently a visiting professor at King's College London. She also sits on numerous boards, and she is the chair of the Judges for the Women's Prize for Fiction in 2022. She has written a book called... The Authority Gap, Why Women Are Still Taken Less Seriously Than Men and What We Can Do About It, published by Norton. Marianne, welcome, and thank you for being here. Oh, thank you very much for having me on your show. You're most welcome. Please tell us about The Authority Gap. What is this phenomenon? Well, The Authority Gap is the extent to which we still take men more seriously than women. So... We assume a guy knows what he's talking about until he proves otherwise, whereas for a woman, it's all too often the other way around. So when I say authority, I mean authority both in terms of expertise and in terms of power and leadership. So when it comes to expertise, we're much more likely to underestimate women than men. We often patronize them. We interrupt them more, talk over them in meetings. We're reluctant to be influenced by what they say. And we're much more likely to challenge their expertise. And when it comes to power, we feel more uncomfortable having women in power over us, whether in leadership positions in an organization or running a country, than we do having a man doing exactly the same thing. Now, England has been a sort of leader in having female leadership. Margaret Thatcher obviously comes to mind, and she she was I mean I can recall this myself as being a, a huge shock to the American public that you had a woman prime minister, and it just seemed, my gosh, where did this come from? Uh, how did it impact your country at the time? Well, it was quite a shock to us too, because this was 1979. Remember, it was a very long time ago. And she was an extraordinary prime minister, whether you agreed with her or not. She had the most incredible authority. Mm. And, uh, and I think what happened was, so she was prime minister for 11 years, and it normalized the notion of a woman being in power. So in fact, after she was toppled, little children were heard to say, she was replaced by a man, by John Major, and little children were heard to say, oh, I didn't know a man could be prime minister. Wow. <laughs> so... It normalized it and it made it easier then for Theresa May to become prime minister. What was it, you know, 25 or so years later. Mm -hmm. And I know in New Zealand, Jacinda Ardern, who is now prime minister, she's the third female prime minister they've had in New Zealand. And she says it's so much easier for her than it is for people like Julia Gillard, who was the first female prime minister in Australia and suffered the most terrible sexism. And as we've been talking about this, I was thinking that perhaps your country has had queens, strong queens. Maybe that made it somehow simpler in that environment. Uh, I mean, it's possible. All, all our best monarchs have been queens, when you think about it. Queen Elizabeth I, Queen Victoria, the current one, Queen Elizabeth II. I think they've probably been the most successful monarchs we've had. Yeah, so that gives quite a good sort of role model for us, doesn't it, that women mm-hmm. can be great leaders. In, indeed. The United States, on the other hand, has not had uh, that that particular uh, set of role models. And it took a long time before we saw women in leadership positions at the federal level, certainly. But that's slowly starting to happen. We now have a female uh, vice president. But 
all the things that you talked about, uh, women being uh, undermined and interrupted, that starts that starts at an early age. It does. It starts very early. So little boys interrupt girls twice as often as they interrupt other boys. Parents interrupt their daughters more than their sons. And actually, one of the most depressing pieces of research I came across when I was researching this book was a research study showing that if parents are asked to estimate their children's IQ, they will estimate their sons on average at 115 and their daughters at only 107, despite the fact that girls develop faster than boys, do much better at school than boys. In fact, all the way through school, college, right up to PhD level, girls outperform boys. And yet boys are growing up subliminally absorbing this notion that they are cleverer than girls. And girls, I fear, are growing up absorbing the notion they're not as clever as boys. And so actually, if you ask adult men to estimate their own IQs, they put them on average at 110 and women at only 105, despite the fact that we know that the IQ distribution is identical for men and women, except at the very far ends of the spectrum. We have this sort of built-in system that is, has created this dynamic. Is it fair to say that this happens cross-culturally? I mean, there, there's almost no place where it doesn't occur? I haven't found anywhere where it doesn't occur. I mean, even in Scandinavian countries, which are you know much more gender-equal, probably even than the UK and the US, women still complain of this sort of thing happening. And of course, it's absolutely endemic if you go to somewhere like Pakistan or Saudi Arabia, it's completely baked into the culture. What can be done? Well, a lot can be done. Well, the one thing we can't do is to get rid of our unconscious bias. This all happens because of unconscious bias. And it's a bias that is sort of seeded in us, as I said earlier, from a very, very early age. And so we can't get rid of it. It's called unconscious for a reason. We shouldn't even feel ashamed of it because it's not our fault. We're not doing it deliberately. Well, some guys might be overtly sexist, but mainly I'm giving everyone credit. We're not doing it deliberately. But I think we have to recognize that however intelligent or liberal or even female we are, we've all got this unconscious bias. Even I've got it. You know, I will occasionally hear perhaps a young woman being interviewed on the radio and maybe she's got quite a high voice and sounds a bit childish in the way that a man can't because his voice is broken. Mm. And I'll instantly find myself thinking, oh, I wonder if she knows what she's talking about. And then I'll go, no, stop. Listen to the content of what she's saying. Don't judge her by the pitch of her voice. You know, so I've learned to correct for my bias when it comes to that sort of thing. And that's the sort of thing that we all have to do. So we have to notice if we're underestimating a woman and then she surprises us by her ability and think to ourselves, hmm, I wonder why I did that in the first place. Maybe I won't do that next time. We have to notice if we interrupt a woman more than a man or if we're taking up too much conversational time in a meeting. Maybe, you know, women are told to lean in. Maybe some guys should just lean out a little and make a bit more space for the women there. You know, you said something earlier uh, with regard to Margaret Thatcher, and after she left office, she was replaced by a man, and you had children saying, oh, gosh, I didn't know a man could be a prime minister. And, and so I guess that sort of, and also the same, the, the cases you, you mentioned in New Zealand, once it starts happening, those biases seem to disappear, and it's ha- fortunately, it's happening at that young age. Yeah, it, it really does make a difference. There was a study that came out only a couple of days ago about companies that have female CEOs, the attitudes towards other women in those companies improves a lot once they have a a woman at the top. Hmm. So it's it's starting to break down our bias about how women should present themselves. 
And we have this problem that women are always being told, well, you should just be more confident. People will take you more seriously. Go on an assertiveness training course, lean in, all this sort of thing. It's nothing like that simple. Because if women do start to be as confident and as assertive as their male colleagues, quite often we recoil and we don't like it. We feel uncomfortable. And we start to use words about them like, oh, she's quite abrasive, isn't she? Or she's strident or aggressive or bossy or overbearing. These are adjectives that we never use of men showing the same character traits. And that's because we have these really sort of um, sneaky little stereotypes, very out of date stereotypes, lurking somewhere in the deepest recesses of our brains that tell us that men should be confident and assertive and show leadership, but women ought to be kind and gentle and warm and nurturing and unselfish and unambitious and unself-promoting. Trouble is, if you act like that, no one does take you seriously. So either you're not confident enough and you're disrespected, or you are confident enough and you're disliked. And that's a really difficult path to navigate for women to get to have exactly the right amount of confidence. So you're neither disrespected nor disliked. And that's a, that, that's a problem that men just don't have at all. But I suspect that if you have a very successful, confident, assertive woman showing leadership at the top of an organisation, whether it's a country or, you know, a business, we start to understand that it's OK, actually, to be female and to be a leader and to act like that. And that makes it easier for the other women in the organisation. This is Radio Free Galisteo. Music and information from the Galisteo Basin. Radio Free Galisteo is listener supported. Go to www.radiofreegalisteo.com and click on our Patreon support button to become an active supporting member of Radio Free Galisteo. And as you pointed out, that does seem to be happening in a few places. I'm recalling our election between Hillary Clinton and uh, Donald Trump. And I mean, those exact stereotypes came out where if Clinton were doing something that was assertive, it was abrasive as opposed to how is that different than any other decision that any other politician has made or, or a statement that any other politician has made? Exactly. And, and I spoke to her about this. And, and she said, when, when I was running for president, people were asked, well, are you ready to vote for a woman for president? And they'd say, oh, yes, of course I am. Just not that woman, because I don't mm. like her. She's unlikable. See, it's back to what I was saying earlier. And then she said, and this time around, it was then, I think, 2018 or 19, you know, you've got almost enough women for a basketball team running for nomination for the Democratic Party. And people say, oh, yeah, I'd be happy to vote for a woman, but just not those women. And then you start, because I don't like them, and you start to think, well, what are the chances of all those women actually being unlikable? Isn't it actually telling us something about us and our, uh, you know, our instinctive response to women who want to be elected to a very senior job? We just don't like women seeking authority rather than the women themselves are unlikable. In your career as a broadcaster and, and as a journalist, you've had an opportunity to interview a number of women in powerful positions, obviously Hillary Clinton. What do you consider one of the more interesting and revealing interviews you've had with some of these women in power? I think the most funny and shocking story came from Mary McAleese, who was president of Ireland 
and she led a delegation, a state visit to the Vatican to meet the Pope. And so it was a very formal occasion. There she was in the audience room at the head of her delegation. In comes the Pope, flanked by his cardinals to be introduced to her. And he comes up to her and then walks straight past her, sticks his hand out to her husband instead, who's standing next to her, and says, wouldn't you prefer to be president of Ireland rather than married to the president of Ireland? (gasps) And the delegation was stunned, as you can imagine. You know, it's so rude to snub a head of state before you've even been introduced to her. So her husband knew better than to take the Pope's hand, which was sort of hovering in midair in front of him. And so Mary McAleese grabbed the Pope's hand, brought it back to herself and said, let me introduce myself. I am the president of Ireland, Mary McAleese, elected by the people of Ireland, whether you like it or whether you don't. Unbelievable, isn't it? That's incredible. Which Pope? John Paul II. Okay. All right. And then then he said afterwards, oh, I was only joking. You know, this classic thing that uh, women often get, can't you take a joke? You know, he said, I I heard you had a sense of humour. And she said, well, I do have a good sense of humour, actually, but that really wasn't funny. You yeah. would not have done that to a male president. I know, indeed. That is, uh, that is shocking. <laughs> it really is, isn't it? So I imagine throughout your book you have a number of either similar anecdotes and, or, uh, and certainly information about this difference that we find, uh, I, I guess, across, across cultures everywhere around the world. What would you like to have as a, a, a main takeaway from the book for, for our listeners? Uh, what, what should they be getting from your book? After they get my book, we'll just go and look at theauthoritygap.com and it'll tell you more about it. I've got my last chapter is all about solutions. And I counted the other day and there are 140. Now, this sounds crazy, but the trouble is that each instance of the authority gap is quite small in itself. I mean, it might be very annoying. It is very annoying if you're at a meeting and somebody interrupts you, but it's small. But they they roll up like compound interest over the course of a lifetime to create this big gap between women and men. If we're constantly being treated like that and men aren't. And so the solutions all have to be quite small. But uh, what would I say? I think the most important thing, as I said earlier, is to recognize you are biased and not just say, oh, no, you know, of course, I think women should be equal. I, I think women should be equal and I'm still biased. Secondly, I think probably if I were to choose one, I'd say don't mistake confidence for competence because they're really not the same thing. And men are on average more confident than women, partly because they're allowed to be, as I said earlier, and partly because women have to put up with all this behavior which dents their confidence in a way that men don't have to. You know, if people are constantly underestimating and patronizing you and interrupting you and challenging you, you know, that, that's going to have an effect on your confidence. But if we take people at their word, so if we have this sort of quite blustering man who tells everybody how great he is and we believe him, we may be much more likely to hire or promote him than actually the equally competent or possibly even more competent woman who doesn't blow her own trumpet because she's not really allowed to. Things to look out for in the book. And the book is The Authority Gap, Why Women Are Still Taken Less Seriously Than Men and What We Can Do About It from W.W. Norton Press. Marianne, where can you find this book? Oh, well, all good bookstores. If you want to find out more about it, just go to my website, theauthoritygap.com. Marianne, thank you for being here today. Any last words before we part? Okay, one thing I'd like to say is that men can really gain from this too. 
And that sounds really counterintuitive because you might think that equality is like a sort of seesaw in which as women rise, men are bound to fall. But actually, it's not. It's the opposite. It's not a zero-sum game. It's a positive-sum game. And this really cheered me up. I discovered all this research showing that in more gender-equal countries, and actually another study looked in more gender-equal US states, possibly yours, I'm not sure, and also in more gender-equal relationships in which the, the straight relationships, that is, in which the man and the woman share the chores quite equally, share the childcare quite equally, not only are the women happier and healthier, which you might well expect, and the children, if there are any, are also happier and healthier, do better at school, have fewer behavioural difficulties, have a much closer relationship with their dad. But the men are happier and healthier. So they're twice as likely to say they're satisfied with their lives. They're half as likely to be depressed. They are much less likely to get divorced. They will drink less, smoke less, take fewer drugs on average sleep better at night. And here's the absolute clincher. They get more frequent and better sex. So guys, what's not to like about this? Join the cause. <laughs> that, that certainly sounds like a real win all the way around. I say so. Well, thank you very much for, for those final words of encouragement. Hopefully uh, we'll, we'll see a more egalitarian society emerge over the next, uh, I don't know how many years, but if you want to learn how, you should all go out and grab The Authority Gap, Why Women Are Still Taken Less Seriously Than Men and What We Can Do About It by Marianne Seagard. Marianne, thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you. It's been a joy. Absolutely. Thank you. And for Radio Free Galisteo, I'm John Shannon.